Hey everyone, uh, Danny here. Thank you so much for tuning in with me on this next episode of the Bible Study Podcast. I am revisiting a topic that uh, you may remember from previous episode, but it's one that um, I've really just been kind of stuck in, um, thinking on, believing that there's something uh, to discover in it, and uh, just just been going through it um, for quite some time. And as I've tried to unpack and discover what it is uh, that I can discover, um, I want to pass on some thoughts, uh, some considerations. Um, I I want to preface this with just kind of a a preamble. Um, I, like yourself, am on a journey— of discovery, of understanding. Um, I want to be humble enough to to acknowledge that um, as my journey with the Lord grows, develops, matures, um, my understanding of Scripture and uh, Revelation will hopefully also grow, um, develop, rich, you know, rich and um, mature. And so, um, I I want to kind of preface this um, unpacking and and all subsequent um, unpackings, the previous ones as well, with this kind of um, disclaimer that um, I I hope my I mean my genuine intention is always to um, reveal uh, what I what I believe and understand to be truth, um, but um, I do want to. You know, preface and say that um, this is the truth as I understand it, and I believe that in Scripture there's always a a relative to us moment of how we can um, apply what we're interpreting through Scripture. Um, it's not to say that truth itself is relative, but our understanding as it uh, uh, relates to us can be relative to the situation, the season that we're in, how we can apply these these principles and these learnings. And um, another passion of mine is to, to um, kind of actively look at things that either I've always thought to be the case or uh, perhaps just kind of the body of Christ at large, um, how they've looked or processed uh, certain things in Scripture, and to just be kind of honest to go at it and look, you know, is this a a reasonable conclusion to have? Is this a reasonable thing uh, for us to teach or hold to? Um, and I hope that doesn't come across as uh, kind of an air of uh, arrogance, as though I would have any special insight um, more so than the you know great great thinkers of the past. Um, that's not the what I want to communicate at all. But um, I do believe that that God does honor though those who would seek to understand and to to have their ear tuned to His voice. And though uh, by no means am I in in that uh, perfectly. And I am growing in that. Um, I do think that um, 
God is willing to share and reveal things to us that maybe um, we didn't have an ear for uh, in a previous season. So, so I say all that to say um, what what I what I unpack or reveal um, is is ever growing and expanding, and. Um, Never just take my word for it. Press into Scripture yourself and see what God speaks to you by way of the Holy Spirit and see if it resonates with um, that which He has has and is revealing to you. And if it and if if there's a attention in that, then seek the Lord on why that is. Um, it can be very hard to break down our paradigms of things that we've always thought to be true that maybe we've taken for granted. Um, and m- maybe there's things that I come to conclude that are not right. Um, and I am on a journey. So, you know, navigating scripture is one that we should always enter into with humility um, and you know, there'll be places that we come to that we just don't understand. And we have to be okay with that tension, though always pursuing God to to seek to understand. Um, it's, I think, His pleasure to reveal things to His children if they would have an ear to hear and a, a heart that would diligently seek Him. So I think... All of that kind of prefacing this and all episodes, for that matter, um, I want to be um, to exhibit humility in and knowing that I've not by any means or stretch of the imagination got it all figured out, and I don't presume to, and so I don't want that to come through as you hear and process these episodes. Um, so all that said, um, we are revisiting a topic. And a parable of the talents, and again, you may have you may recall this episode previously, um, but this has been a section that I have really been chewing on, and so I'm going to read the parable, and I want to kind of offer some perspectives. Um, there's there's a contemporary way that this is viewed um, through the you know through the lens of you know our you know, teaching and uh, understanding of this parable. Parables can be difficult because you know they're oftentimes uh, stories that um, relate to some sort of truth, though the story itself is can be just an illustration of a truth. So understanding, navigating the the parallels of what it's trying to communicate can be a challenge. Um, and I think if we don't acknowledge that, then that makes us a little either naive or proud. So um, I think that is important. So this parable uh, is found in Matthew 25 verses 14 through 30. And so we're just going to read through that, Um, and it says, uh, this we'll be reading out of the ESV uh, for this one. It says, Jesus is speaking here, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted them to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, 
to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be given more. And he who will have an and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, this is a, a very uh, a, a common story that we find through you know, kind of our modern church history. And it is a, a parable that we have assigned a, a very particular understanding to and taught for um, a long time. I would be cautious to try to assign a time. But in traditional uh, contemporary understanding, we view this parable through the lens of um, stewardship, um, faithfulness, um, you know, fruit bearing, you know, increases, and and then you know we're very comfortable with the first two servants. Um, we kind of parallel those servants to. You know what we would call you know genuine genuine servants of Christ, or I could call I would then maybe call them Christians, and then this third servant, we typically traditionally assign this thought that this servant is 
what we would call a um, maybe not a genuine believer because we see what happens to him and we read that he is um, assigned to outer darkness um, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we see that and we instantly conclude that um, Jesus is speaking of hell and that this servant would be um, cast away from him into this place that we call hell. So naturally in that thought, this would not be a Christian or true follower of Christ, maybe one who would be professing faith. This is all how we kind of look at this from uh, from this parable and how we teach it. And so um, I don't want to make an episode merely on um, the basis of objections to things. I, I don't think that that's healthy. Um, so in light of that, um, towards the end, when we kind of recap this, um, I do want to offer, you know, what what can we what can we learn from this parable? Um, I don't want to make it just what it is not, but what maybe it is also. So um, I don't want to belabor belabor the the point, but um, I, I I am doubtful that this is a parable that is reflective of this salvation narrative. Um, I don't think that this parable is demonstrating this idea of um, this idea of salvation and kind of the inner workings of it or the result of unfaithfulness and the servant being cast into hell. I don't think that this is actually speaking of hell. But before I get too far ahead of myself, um, as we look through the this scripture, I want to point out my first objection to how we traditionally see this parable. Notice that all three of these men, of these individuals, they're called servants. Depends on your translation. It may call them slaves. Um, but um, nonetheless, for this purpose, um, they're all three called a servant. Um, if you look at the Greek, all three of the words used to describe each person, the servant, is the Greek word doulos. Um so there's no distinguishing identification of of these three men. They're all servants of this master. Now, you know, this is typically this master is is typically thought of as you know paralleling Jesus. Um, so, um, all three men are called servants. So. My first objection is it's unfair of the text or to the text to for all three men to be identified as servants of this master or nobleman, I think is described in other uh, gospel, um, to then at the end of it delineate the lazy and wicked servant as anything other than 
the man's servant. And what am, so what am I saying in that? We would say typically, traditionally, these first two servants are true servants of Christ. And this third one, who is what we think cast into hell, would naturally not be a servant, but rather kind of this false servant. Well, that's unfair of the text, um, unfair to the text. He's identified as a servant. How can we then, at the end, call him, well, not a real servant? We conclude that because of what we think happens to him. So that's, I think, an unfair conclusion and an unfair delineation between all the servants. So then um, my second objection to our traditional view of this parable, um, we, we off, I mean, we make this story about uh, a salvation kind of narrative, the, you know, two faithful, one untrue, and then we see the fruit of it and it results in a, um, you know, a reward for two and a casting into hell for one. So there's this salvation narrative as the crux of our interpretation. But if you look at the text, the the kind of crux of the story or the um, kind of the, the bullseye, if you will, of the story, it centers around um, money being given to each servant. You know, a lot of times we put in this, we have this parallel that this is, you know, we, you know, you're given talents like gifts and abilities. And uh, if you don't use them, then you're not, you know, being faithful to God and your talents may get taken away. It's, um, I mean, that's a great, I mean, I've, I've expounded on that thought as well, but um, obviously in its genuineness a talent is not a gift or ability it's a sum of money and in fact a talent um, is a rather large sum of money a talent would have been worth a, a general laborer's salary for about 20 years worth so one talent would be worth about 20 years of a laborer's wage so that's a substantial amount of money so you know a talent five five talents being given uh, that would be generally about a hundred years worth of income. That's a large sum of money, a lifetime, really, or even or even two lifetimes in that era. Um, and then, likewise, two talents. That's another, again, another large sum of money, and then one talent. So, the center of this story it centers around money, around financial components. But we we kind of parallel this, the centrality of this story around salvation. Though the heartbeat of this of this parable, it it centers around, I mean, what are the servants praised for or condemned for? Either increase it centers around increasing the sum of money that was given. So I'd also notice that each servant was given according to his ability. And 
And if and if we're trying to connect this to somehow salvation, this is not what grace is. Grace isn't given because of an ability. And so I think, you know, objection number two, it's unfair to define this or hinge the story around salvation um, because it doesn't it doesn't equate to um, the heartbeat of the story and for sure it doesn't equate with how um, how grace to receive um, would would be um, would be d- demonstrated or given okay so and then um, Objection number three, or next one, um, notice that it says this, the lazy and wicked servant who was cast into outer darkness, they failed to put to work his gift. This, that is to say, the thing that was given him. In this case, it was financial. So his failure was to produce an increase. So again, if this is if this story has to do with salvation, then the failure on the part of this lazy and wicked servant, the failure of it would be they failed to produce, which is too, uh, works based to to be able to harmonize with what we genuinely understand the gospel and and all orthodox christianity would say it's faith alone in christ alone by grace alone it's it, and so to 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 categorize this again and i'm sorry if this is very redundant and repetitive but i'm just want to really press the point it's if it's about salvation, then this it's too works based to harmonize with faith alone. Now, um, another point or a, a, an important um, point is if we look at this story, this parable, looking at it in a larger context, we should notice that. Jesus is speaking of the kingdom. Um, he gives an analogy previously in uh, the first of chapter 25. Jesus is speaking of the, the kingdom of heaven. And so there is a contextually, Jesus is describing what the kingdom of God will be like. He's not speaking of what salvation is like. Then um, next here, another objection is we have we have two faithful servants. They and they, as you see, receive a reward for their faithfulness. They become rulers over much. But this this last, what's called lazy and wicked servant, does not become ruler over anything. Now that's important. I think that that reality ties into what I believe is 
communicated in cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be, you know, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, this is the place when we read this that we assign or call hell. And I think where we, I think we misconclude. Now, um, for the sake of for the sake of time. Um, I won't read them all, but I'll give you the verses. And it's unique because Matthew is the one who speaks on this um, f- really for four specific places in his writing. The only time that we see this weeping and gnashing of teeth come up again in the New Testament is, uh, from from what I could see, Luke 13, 28. Now, um, the the other places are Matthew 8, verse 12, um, Matthew 13, verse 42, and then we see it again in verse 50, and then Matthew 22, 13, and then Matthew 24 and verse 51. I think that's important for us to understand because... Matthew would have been written to a Jewish audience. So there's something very specific that Matthew is trying to communicate, something that the Jewish peoples would have appreciated that we don't necessarily see in some of the rest of the New Testament. Again, Luke 13, 28 does, um, have, does communicate this this idea of weeping and gnashing of teeth, and that would be important to see. So um, I would encourage you to look at those and think, you know, what um, is there are there are there unique things that I can conclude based on what I'm reading, the context of it, that could mean something other than hell. And so I think that in this case, I do think it's incorrect for us to conclude that this servant is being cast into hell because I don't think that this parable is a a storyline regarding having really anything to do with salvation. Um I think that and and here I'll kind of connect these thoughts a primary issue of this last servant is that he has a a misguided perception of the master. He misunderstood him. And as a result, he feared him, which led to this servant's failure or inaction. And and it was intended that he bring an increase. So the root problem you could argue is he failed to see the master appropriately now that is up for debate um i don't visit commentaries very often because i want to um allow the lord to show and reveal things to me uh, without bending myself one to one side or the other um i i want to conclude what i believe the lord shows me um, but occasionally, it, it's I do 
will go visit a commentary and see their uh, perspectives and see how it will line up with what I understand or conclude. Um, I'm going to read a couple pieces of a commentary um, because I think it's interesting, um, but um, that's kind of how I approach commentaries. Though, um, you know, when I first started my journey, they're very helpful and they still are helpful. So I don't condemn them at all. Um, it's wonderful scholarship. Who people have invested their lives to understanding scripture, and so they they have a place. Um, but don't don't ever put commentaries above the the guidance and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Um, but always keep what you understand by way of hopefully the Holy Spirit. Always keep it connected to the truth revealed in Scripture about God. If it ever takes you away from the true reality of who God is through Scripture, you're in dangerous territory, you could be deceived, and you definitely don't want uh, to be thinking that the Lord is showing you something that, in fact, the devil is trying to um, to get you deceived on. Many have fell by that wayside, and it is a treacherous and disastrous place to be. So, we, so I say, I think that we misassign this outer darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth in this place, in this application, specifically, incorrectly to hell. What, what I would suggest as this place, since I don't believe that this is communicating revelation about salvation, I do, though, believe that it is communicating a place of um, a place of loss, anguish, deep um, mourning. Now, if we notice, what was it that was gained? There was an increase, a return with these two servants, and one did failed to get that, and and he was cast into outer darkness. And there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. I believe that this weeping, gnashing of teeth is the result of deep mourning, um, deep anguish and loss. This, this servant had the opportunity to... Um, employ what he was given to produce an increase to then be rewarded by his master. Um, I think that because he failed to get a, a return, a, um, a fruiting, if you will, that loss of what could have been is where he finds himself inside this place of darkness, of weeping and anguish. That's this kind of this idea of this na of gnashing of teeth. It's this place of anguish. So I think that um, rather than communicating, um, you know, of a not a genuine Christian to be who is, you know, judged for for that and cast into hell. Um, I believe that this servant is experiencing anguish, um, isolation, uh, deep mourning and loss 
for what he could have experienced had he been faithful in the assignment of this master. Um, so I want to read a couple thoughts from this, um, this commentary. Um, I've had it for a number of years, um, and so I'm, but I'm not really familiar with, um, with their, with their work or their, you know, the author's you know, reputation, credentialing or what have you. So, um, it's, uh, written by an Evans, um, but it, there are some kind of interesting thoughts in here, and um, I just kind of want to read a couple of those. Um, after I concluded what I concluded, I, I visited what they had to say, and um, they kind of in a, in a nutshell, um, they would have said that um, this this mostly kind of you know farming. Uh, farming community, they would have seen uh, let me find it here, sorry. Um, so this this says uh, Jesus's agrarian audience would have viewed the principal figure in this parable with unqualified uh, fear and loathing. His gouging practices place a heavy financial burden on the small farmers who pay him interest and sometimes lose their crops to this grasping, merciless man. If we take into account the social, economic, and historical elements uh, presupposed by this parable, we probably um, are wiser to understand it as originally directed against the style of leadership that Jesus sharply criticizes, as in Mark 10, 40, and 45, and that the Herodian dynasty typified. Um, they go on to say that in the late life of the church, um, they what it, what kind of what this came to be was this parable was understood as an elaboration on Jesus's teaching that the spiritually responsive will receive further insight and further um, opportunity while the spiritually dull will receive less perhaps even lose what they have um, one of the points that they they make here regarding um, when the Master asked, why did you not put the money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. Um, both Matthew and Luke, um, they expected at the very least from this story the money to be banked so that it could be collected with interest. Um, however, in Jewish law, the expectation of earning interest is contrary that's from Deuteronomy, Exodus, and Leviticus. Jewish law allows interest to be collected from Gentiles, but not from fellow Jews. So, and, but they argue that there's no reason to think that Gentiles are in view in these parables. Um, notice also, or just remember, Matthew was written to a Jude Jewish audience. So um, that's kind of fascinating, that perspective. And there is another part here that's in it says do business with this until I come back. Um, it comes from this noun uh, pragmatii, and it appears in Hebrew sources as a a loan word. Um, 
So this would have been something like take from me a loan of X amount of money and do business with it. So there's there's kind of like this lending component to it. Um, and there, there's several thoughts in, in various capacities, but um, this commentator um, would have argued that this parable was more criticizing um, the Herodian dynasty, which would have been the son of Herod at the time, and there's some parallels to that. So, um, so I just I think that's kind of interesting, um, and they do kind of share some of this weeping and gnashing of teeth that we do in our you know modern teaching of this idea. So, so my perspective on that is a, um, a little unique to the commentators um, in that regard, but. Um, Nonetheless, I think it is kind of interesting um, that they point out that it wasn't um, their their belief was that uh, they wouldn't have heard this parable and come to the conclusion that we do uh, today. So I'm going to end this with you know what can uh, you know as I said I don't want to make this just about what what is this not um, so um, what should we learn from this parable. Um, I do want to include what it is, and 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 I think some fair conclusions about it. So, what do we learn? Well, remembering in context that this is the time of the kingdom. Um, so that's remember how, that's how it started out. For it will be like a man. So, re- keeping it kind of in context, the time of the kingdom will be like. X, you know, dot, dot, dot. Um, another thing is, I think it's fair that, you know, servants of God are entrusted um, God's property according to their ability. If we're not um, concluding it in the sense, like the commentator said, you know, if we're not, I'm not necessarily um, aligned with their perspective or conclusion that this is some sort of uh, stab at you know the political um, political leadership that Jesus is kind of stabbing at um, I don't really share that conclusion but there are there are things that I think we can learn and and some of our conclusions I think have been f- are fair and you know reasonable um, though I definitely don't think our conclusion of the story as it relates to salvation is a fair one. So servants of God are entrusted God's property according to their ability. We look around, you know, those who God has blessed in different ways, and they are it's important, I think, to remember that you know God sees and knows what our ability is, and if we can be trusted with um, a little, then he can, um, we can kind of establish good disciplines. We can establish you know, faithfulness. Stewardship is reasonable, um, and in doing so, um, could be you know faithfully trusted for more. But uh, do remember, though, each was given according to their own ability. Um, number three, God wants an increase. He wants a harvest. He wants, if I could borrow the phrase. He wants a return on his investment. Um, the Moravians, uh, if you're familiar with that um, 
group of people when they were doing, you know, faithfully doing their mission evangelism. You know, may the lamb who was slain get the reward for his suffering. So I think um, I think that's a wonderful thing to consider. And um, though God is not a shrewd banker, um, I do think that it is um, important for us to make much of what he's given and entrusted. Um, and he does want a harvest, and he does want us to bear much fruit. Um, another thing uh, is be faithful until the master's return um, in the meantime. So we see that that this this uh, rich man or nobleman um, went away. And so while we are here, given the time that we are given, we should be faithful with what God has given us and seek to understand how we can put it to use to bring him glory and pleasure. Uh, number five, I think by bringing a return of investment, you are rewarded accordingly and are able to enter into the joy of the master. Uh, next, I think it is cr- it is critical to see to see God and his Christ accurately. I would probably I should have probably put this as my number one point. Um, a inability to see the master if we parallel him to Jesus his inability to see him appropriately um, caused him fear and inaction, which robbed him of his his action and re- and reward. And and it's it it's completely true that fear is a thief. It will rob from you if you let it. And then lastly, if you fail to bring an increase by faithful stewardship. Um, you will experience loss and deep anguish at what could have been. You know, God makes available for each of us the opportunities, um, good works prepared for us before uh, the foundation of the earth, um, and we can steward and partner with God. And um, if if so, if we do that faithfully then we can enter into this joy that that God can uh, feel from our obedience. And, um, it, you know, whenever we are not faithful and, and when we are not obedient, um, it's it wounds God. It wounds the Lord. And uh, just like our children, when they are disobedient, um, it it hurts us. And uh, but thankfully— that God is so much more patient than we can imagine and and are, though there is a time that He will um, call this this end of um, what He has created to an end, and there will be no more opportunities to turn and repent and to seek Him with all of our hearts and um, accept his Christ, his Messiah, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. And so if that has not been uh, something that you have um, given yourself to, um, you um, Jesus is the only way we can be saved, uh, the only way that we can be reunited to the Father God 
and it's by accepting him um, as Lord and Savior. He can save you, but he also must be your Lord. And so um, no other name can we be saved by. So I would encourage you to chew on all of this. Uh, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Um, s- dig into the scriptures yourself. Um, see how see what you can uncover. And I appreciate you on this journey, and we will see you on the next one. God bless. <music>